Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 219 Podcast, where we discuss trends in the wine and spirits industry, and we try to tackle it in roughly 20-ish minutes, give or take. Sometimes we go over if we have a really good guest. And today we do have a really good guest. We're going to talk to my friend Robin Robinson about what in the heck is going on in the whiskey industry right now. Uh, I'll start off by talking about an article that I wrote recently and posted on LinkedIn that started this whole conversation. I was asking people, am I the only one who's seen this trend of consumers not wanting to buy anything more than once balloon from sort of a boutique phenomenon around you know 2013-ish when the the independent retail boom was sort of in full force in stores like K&L and Binnie's and Astor and and other uh, independent retailers across America were making a name for themselves by going to Scotland and going to Kentucky and bringing things back for their consumers that weren't available traditionally at retail. And if you've been buying single barrels for some time, you know that what started as sort of something that only this handful of independent retailers did has now ballooned into a full-scale phenomenon where even a corner liquor store in a small town might have their own single barrel of something at this point. That just goes to show that something that started as a small boutique trend has grown into something much larger. And that's what we're going to talk about today, but in terms of a mindset, not necessarily a barrel. As time went on and more and more customers started discovering what was happening at these retailers with all of these unique selections that were available to them, they really got into the idea of independent bottles, uh, one-off single barrels, unique things. And, and, and there had been a culture of this for a lot longer, more so in Europe and in the UK. Back then, you didn't have social media sites like Instagram and Reddit where these conversations were happening. It was mostly happening on blogs and message boards. And you had guys like Serge Valentin, who, who still writes Whiskey Fun, which is a great source of information about some of the more obscure and hard-to-find single barrels of whiskey out there. And that's where a lot of these people got their information from. But it didn't take long once social media platforms started developing for these people to go and find larger communities to express these ideas. And I remember having meetings with the heads of Diageo or the heads of LVMH about what was happening in my sector of retail and telling them very matter-of-factly about this phenomenon of consumers only wanting to buy things once because they were on this journey of discovery and how that was ultimately going to affect the sales of their core items. You know, we can sell all these things once. Give me a new Ardbeg, it's gone. Find me an older version of some bourbon that doesn't exist, and I can sell that in a flash. The problem is that as I'm creating an audience for these very limited, hard-to-find items, I'm finding that many of the customers I'm dealing with no longer want to purchase any of your flagship brands. And that's going to be an issue if this trend continues. And of course, I would hear remarks back like, well, that might be true in your world, David, but that doesn't reflect the industry as a whole. The industry as a whole is built on brands, is built on scale, it's built one bottle at a time. You know, the on-premise builds the off. Get it into the bars, get the bartenders on board, and they'll tell their best consumers, and then the consumers will go to the store, and they'll get a bottle, and we'll get them on board, and after they realize they love it, they'll be back for more. And that was probably true back then. But today, in the wake of COVID, we all know that the pandemic accelerated all sorts of evolutions that were already well underway, whether it's the work from home era or getting your groceries delivered via Instacart. 
the pandemic took a small minority of whiskey drinkers and transformed them into a powerful force to be reckoned with today because all of these guys that sat at home in isolation began reaching out online, discovering all the communities that were out there and this vast world of whiskeys that was waiting for them. And that discovery has had vast ramifications for the way that whiskeys are sold and the way that consumer demand presents itself in today's market. I'm sure you remember where you spent your pandemic years. For me, it was in my garage, six feet apart from my neighbors, all of us sitting in folding chairs with various snacks and drinks available on the community table. And we had the garage open, open air, so we could all make sure that the COVID wasn't spreading. And um, I think this happened all over America. In fact, I'm, I'm sure it did because I've met all of these guys who got together with other guys in their neighborhoods. Maybe it was dads whose kids went to the same school or their, their kids were on the same soccer team. And they would sit outside in their own open-air communities with bottles of whiskey on the table. And where one dad might bring a bottle of Maker's Mark, another dad brought a bottle of Elijah Craig Barrel Proof Batch B24. And the dad said to him, Whoa, this is, this is strong. This is intense. There's a lot of flavor here. And another dad would say, oh, yeah, let me tell you about the wide world of allocated, rare, interesting, single barrel, one-off, cask strength, <laughs> bourbons and whiskeys that are out there. And all of a sudden, these guys got hooked because during the pandemic, people were getting together drinking whiskey. And all of a sudden, what started as a bunch of dads hanging out in the garage together ballooned into the Los Angeles Whiskey Community, the Pleasanton Whiskey Society, the Danville Dads of Bourbon, whatever you want to call them. There's a whole bunch of these community groups that have moved into taking their clubs from an informal gathering that started during the pandemic into making single barrel selections at actual distilleries. And I'm pretty sure there are thousands of these groups across America. I'm telling you, when I've gone out to Kentucky during the last year, I've been at distilleries where there are 10 to 15 barrel selections going on, and none of them are retailers, none of them are restaurants. Some of them are like highway patrol groups or um, dads who work at Facebook. These are private groups that were started during COVID who have now turned into sort of amateur whiskey groups. They have t-shirts, they have a website, they have logos. And they meet regularly, and guess what? They're not interested in drinking everyday stuff anymore because they've graduated past that. The excitement that we used to feel once or twice a year when the fall allocations of our favorite bourbon would come out or the special release of our favorite single malt was, was, was sent to market, that's now become a full-time sensation. People have decided that they don't want to experience these things just a few times a year. Wouldn't it be great if every time you bought a bottle of whiskey, you got this sensation? Just like a barrel hunter going after the latest bottle of George T. Stagg. Or maybe it's a bottle of E.H. Taylor or Blanton's or Elmer T. Lee or some other Buffalo Trace limited bourbon that you can't find. The point is that this became another phenomenon, the idea of the hunt. And what was once relegated to maybe a handful of guys in certain areas across the country who knew how to do this you had hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of guys who began bottle hunting during COVID. 
Now, the other thing that happened during COVID is that you couldn't necessarily go to the store and get advice. So all of a sudden, the guys who never really looked up bourbon or scotch or whiskey hunting or barrel hunting online began doing so. And they discovered that they had been missing out on these online communities, these groups on Reddit, other social media platforms that would talk about these subjects, and they quickly became initiated. So again, what was once maybe 5 to 10% of the whiskey market started to become 15% of the whiskey market, and then 18% of the whiskey market, and then 20% of the whiskey market, and then maybe 25 or 30% of the whiskey market. I would argue today the mentality that we're talking about might represent as much as 40 or 50% of the whiskey market in terms of the way that consumers think. Because this is not limited to just whiskey. This is every genre, every industry that I know of right now, whether it's uh, clothing, jewelry, pizza, vinyl releases for some limited album. All of these businesses and industries have learned that if you make something available full-time, it loses its value to the consumer. If you take it away from them and say it's only available for a limited time, you better act now, sales go through the roof. So I have a favorite pizza place that only makes its most popular pizza one week out of the month because they know that if they make it available full-time, people will get used to it and get tired of it. But if they take it away, all of a sudden, people start jonesing for it and say, oh, God, I wonder when they're going to make that pizza again. And the whiskey industry is starting to function the same way. If you have a success with a single barrel or some small batch release, and it sells out, the first instinct for any business owner is to go back and double and triple supply because you've got a hit on your hands and now it's time to capitalize on all this momentum. But what we're seeing this year is as they go back and revamp these whiskeys for another release, they fall flat on the second try, which is why you'll end up going to Costco and seeing things like Elijah Craig Barrel Proof and Larceny Barrel Proof, things that were limited and allocated eight, nine months ago on the shelf for far less than they were selling then with no bottle limits. And that's a problem because it shows you that once the initial rush for any whiskey has been satiated, people lose interest, they get their ADHD going, and they they jump to the next new release because that's where the action is. And if you look at what's trending on social media, those are the types of posts that get the most attention. So if you're a whiskey reviewer or influencer and you're looking to maintain your momentum online and maintain your audience, you can't do that by posting about whiskeys that came out two years ago. You have to stay relevant. And for everybody who is online following the lead of these influencers and thinking that this is what represents expertise, this is what I should aspire to be, it's changing the nature of how consumers behave. In the past, the majority of consumers were just looking for a bottle that they could depend on, and that's where brand loyalty came in. You would find the whiskey that you liked the best, and then you would just drink that. But that's not the way things work anymore, as we know. Part of the joy of drinking whiskey right now is that there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of whiskeys available to you. And just like travel, you want to go explore all the options. You know, in the past, people would vacation at the same place every year. Maybe they go from New York to Florida or they go out to the Hamptons, but that's not the way things work anymore. Once younger people have been to Spain, they want to go to Japan. And after they've gone to Japan, they want to go to Vietnam. And after they've gone there, maybe they want to go to Africa or Morocco. 
There is so much to see in this world. People are realizing you only live once. And I don't know if I want to go back to the same place over and over again when there's so much of this world to be seen. And we're seeing the same thing happen to the whiskey industry. People are treating bottles like they treat experiences. And once they've had that experience, they're ready to move on to the next one because life is short. And that's another thing that we learned during COVID, isn't it? But without further ado, I want to bring on my friend Robin Robinson, who is the author of one of the best whiskey books out there called The Complete Whiskey Course. He has a lot to say on this subject, and I want to hear from someone outside of my own bubble at this point. When I met you out in California, I was now um, the unofficial brand sales manager for Compass Box across the United States in 34 different markets. And here's what I learned. This is a gangster fucking business, man. This a business operates on literally no sense of methodology of, of anything that I was familiar with. I was aghast and appalled at how the industry works. And what was interesting is I came after this company's business five years before in the role of a salesman with my my tech company. We were a big ERP company, Enterprise Resource Planning. Essentially, what we've got here is a system that was actually designed to be broken. And it was held in place in post-war years by the big, massive multinationals like, uh, like National, Hiram Walker, and Seagram's. That was a time when people were brought into um, a company and you were a lifer forever. I mean, I remember Al Young, um, uh, rest of soul from, uh, from Four Roses. He says, we were Seagram's men. You know, we had to carry the Seagram's line. We had to talk to Seagram's talk, but we always got taken care of. So it was a very much, you know, back in those days, a cradle to grave type of an operation. They were bringing, you know, essentially their new methods in place into a very, very old system. And so I think for the most of the 21st century, it's really been trying to fit a square peg in a round hole and everybody else is really kind of caught up with it. And that's why this is a massively dysfunctional um, uh, industry. It's interesting to hear you to hear you talk about the actual employees of these companies being lifers, because that almost mirrored what what the consumers were back then as well, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, the big joke that I always had is that when I was a kid growing, growing up in Pittsburgh, it was a state store system there. And uh, I would go with my dad to go, he'd go buy a bottle of something and we'd walk out and he would look around and he'd see all the bums hanging around there. He goes, you see those guys, those are Four Roses guys. And so, you know, like... <laughs> That was back in the day when Four Roses was essentially kind of considered the blended whiskey and rot gut. But that's how far back that goes. You know, what I see is just an amazing amount of dysfunction um, in how the operation works from the brand level all the way down through the three tier system. Part of the reason that brands are moving towards the Internet in terms of influencers on Instagram and YouTube is because how broken the distribution system is. If you are a small brand with a large distributor and you check in with your portfolio manager and you find that nobody's sold any of your booze, nobody's made any calls to any of the key accounts, you're sort of forced to take matters into your own hands. And once you start taking matters into your own hands, younger entrepreneurs are not going to go knocking on doors and, you know, trying to make appointments with bartenders. They're going to go right to the Internet. They're going to click a button. And it's very interesting. So 
you know, I, I teach sales methodology um, to brands and to small distributors. So that's kind of like one part of my business. Um, so I'm out there and I've got the methodology that I kind of brought over from the tech uh, industry with me that I used all during the time that I was with Compass Box. And now I've expanded upon that. And that's essentially the service that I give my clients is that. And now it's changed. Now, I will tell you what's interesting. And again, I came out of the technology industry as much as I am a technophile. Um, there are still limits to the idea of what can be what can happen out there from an Internet perspective. OK, it's not the main focus. It is still to this day. It's a blocking and tackling game of inches on the street. However, just like social media, we don't exactly know what the value of social media is, but we know that we have to have it along with us. That's not being quantified right now. The Internet marketing uh, or, or the Internet um, sales are still on the outskirts. But like the craft movement or the explosion or the revolution that happened in the 21st century, it's cutting edges out around the profit margins of the distributors, of the distribution layer. And they're starting to feel the effect. Well, I mean, Southern it, bought uh, Southern bought Reserve Bar, so you have you have major major distributors going in on the idea that the internet is going to be the future. But the right. thing that I don't think they understand is when they have a hit on their hands. Let's say that some new bourbon comes out from one of the big Kentucky producers, and they they bring it to market and it sells through, and everybody's freaking out. The natural tendency is to go back and double that say hey we are we're already sold out now let's make a double order because i've already been through this with my clients i work with these distributors too we told them to bring a huge big batch out to california and they didn't they brought a small batch and yeah. then it sold out promptly and you know what yeah. they did they said oh this is great back up the truck and since that second truck has come in not so many sales interesting and what does that tell you it tells me that once the first tranche has been released to market and the early adopters get in, that's really, that's the pinnacle. After that, you you know what I mean? What do you do? That's essentially the, the idea of premiumization, one, and the idea of individuality. So for example, Compass Box, after I left the company, pretty much changed their entire strategy. And, you know, I was out there actually placing, you know, the core line over and over and over and over again. So everybody had to have Pete Monster, everybody had to have Great King Street and everything like that. Now it's really just limited edition, you know, pre-sell them, sell out one time, you know, and then you wait for it. But, you know, you charge a super premium price on this. You know, I'm seeing that everywhere. That's uh, essentially how people are rolling right now. And that with cask picks, you and I could do a cask pick now. You know, that used to be the province of what, you know, like large distributors. And it's kind of gotten down to the clubs or just some individuals getting together. You know, that's, the, you know, that's the really key point that I don't think people understand. And when I look at comments from the article that I wrote, or when I bring up this idea to other people, the number one pushback is always, well, I mean, David, this, this can't be as many people as you think it is. And what I want to push back and say is, it's far more than you think than it you is. know it is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because oh, no. when oh. I when I was in yeah. Kentucky three months ago, I went to multiple <laughs> distilleries. And there were you know, dozens of barrel picks going on between all yeah. these different distilleries. So I started asking the people, hey, what store are you from? They're like, oh, we're not a store. I was like, oh, you're not a store? What are you? Are, are you we're a bar? 
no, we're just a bunch of guys in Missouri. We, uh, you know, we we thought we'd come out and pick our own barrel. And I, everywhere I went, all of the barrel selections were just guys, just okay. a group of guys. That's it. Yeah. It's a new, I mean, it's a, it's, it, it's a, it's a connecting thing now, you know, I mean, and it sort of like, again, it, it verifies my, the theory I have of the three of, of um, the third wave. We're in the third wave of whiskey. The, the first wave of any trend is when is the early adopters, the bleeding edge um, avant-garde that pick up something that's been hanging around or no one knows about as brand new. And they it kind of like it, they use it as their own coin of the realm to communicate with each other. And then the next wave is the the advocates. The advocates are also very interested in picking up this sort of esoteric thing. But what they're interested in is sharing it and in the sharing it, making sure that they're in the middle of that sharing. Right. So that it becomes sort of like, you know, I am you know turning you on to this. And, and that's kind of like where the influencer uh, mentality came from. And then every trend goes up into the third wave. It crosses that chasm. And that third wave is now um, it breaks out into the general public. Now it doesn't need any intermediaries. Everyone has access to it. So, for example, someone with a book like mine, my, it, it was a perfect time for my book to come out because now the entire general public has this interest and active desire to gain knowledge about any particular uh, any any particular uh, movement. In this case, whiskey. And now they are going to change the nature of it to the degree where the first wave are starting to look at something else. Well, and that's why tequila is outselling bourbon now in the United States, right? right. That's the like that's yep. the new trend that's that people have crossed exactly. over. Exactly. And the bad news about tequila, that is such a I mean, that's such a hockey stick. Yeah. Tequila is going to drop fast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, especially once everybody realizes what it's actually made of. That's it's not really tequila. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what's, the thing that's interesting to me about all of this is, 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 well, it's, it, it tracks from other, other genres or other industries, but we can, we can look at other industries like clothing, oh, yeah. fashion, uh, music, vinyl, all of these things are doing the same way. There's a reason everybody's using the word drop as in we're having a merch drop. We're having a new drop and that's how you put things out. And a drop for those of you who don't know is basically a new release of something that we're announcing. You've got 48 hours to get ready. Everyone's going to line up to get it. And once it's gone, it's gone. You've got sneaker drops, right? For the new Jordans that are coming out. Everybody's following this model now. It is. Um, and, and right built into that is that sense of impermanence, right? Um, it's, you know, and, and, and essentially just moves right in line with the gist of this conversation. So that sense of impermanence, that sense of I need to have an individualized experience. I mean, experience is one of the things I teach my brand. You create a narrative that meets the zeitgeist and that creates an experience. And then that then is repeatable through social media and the act of gaining knowledge. And um, and that's what this is. Now, that cycle is moving faster and faster and faster now. Somebody told me uh, via LinkedIn. You know, one of the biggest problems of 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 the industry right now is there's too many SKUs. I just go to the store and I'm overwhelmed by seven different expressions of the same whiskey. And I replied back. I said, yeah, why do you think that is? They have to make seven, eight, nine different whiskeys because you stopped buying the one whiskey that they made. 
as right. soon as they realized you weren't going to buy <clears throat> that one whiskey again, they had to make a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. We can talk about that within like the large metropolitan areas um, where that cycle really repeats itself. New York, San Francisco, Chicago, Boston, wherever that may be, where you've got more of a cosmopolitan um, profile there. When you go out into the heartland, there is still an enormous amount of steady Eddieism. I mean, there's still more, uh, there's a little bit more of a sense of uh, brand orientation. However, I was just absolutely flabbergasted. I visited some uh, a, a cousin of mine who was in uh, West Virginia. I'm talking about the hollows of West Virginia. I always bring a bag of booze with me, you know, just to kind of, and, and I had it in an Aster uh, wine and spirits bag from New York City, one of the best known retailers maybe in the United States. And they go, oh my God, Aster, we love Aster. <laughs> so they, for years, actually did like, you know, online uh, sales from them. So it's starting to spread out there. You're starting to see, you know, uh, less and less of like, you know, just give me the good old whatever that is. And I'll drink that all the time. Yeah. People and are more... ordering online anywhere in the country. Yeah. It's, I see yeah. it. I mean, if you go on Instagram, there's a thing called mail drop Monday where everybody, oh. everybody makes a video of them opening up the bottles that they've been sent in the mail. And those, oh, bottles, you're kidding. no, it could be from a retailer, but a lot of them are just sent between each other. Oh, yeah. It's Mail Drop yeah. Monday where, you know, some guy in Chattanooga, Tennessee sent a bottle to a guy in Missoula, Montana. This is yeah. not I mean, this is how this spreads to the heartland. These guys go on the Internet. They see this thing called Mail Drop Monday and they're like, well, shit, I've been buying all my whiskey at the store. You're telling me I can get my whiskey in the mail? And it's like, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and which is why there's pressure on USPS right now to actually change their um, their policy to allow you know allow liquor to be uh, uh, to be mailed through the mail. Yeah, of course, oh, yeah. this is the future. People are. I mean, there there is so much illegal booze sent through the mail. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, all the time, right? Okay. I, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, I, I I think what has happened from the millennial to the Gen Z generation. Is that you know the millennials, for example, were probably the most culinarily proficient and knowledgeable generation, and maybe the history of America. Um, you know, they grew up with a sense of a wide sense of there are things out there that bring me pleasure by eating them and drinking them. So they weren't afraid of the big flavors of whiskey. They're taking ownership of this and changing this according to their uh, their taste. But the tastes are broader than any other time. I mean, the taste profile of the, the average American. Millennials travel, and so does Gen Z. They're always go. like going to different places. They're yep. always on the road. They're 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 working to save money so that they can go explore the world. And they don't That's, they don't they don't want to do the same thing more than once. So yeah. of course they're not going to buy and, the same. And, and it's a cooking and eating tour of yes. Europe, of of right. South uh, Southeast Asia, uh, whatever that may be. Yeah, right. Everything culinary and and that's alcohol included is an experience. And because yeah. there are so many experiences to be had, they're not looking to repeat and just do the same thing over and over again. I think it is generational because one of the reasons that I think there's a split between people under and over forty five is. A lot of people use their own experience to sort of react to this trend. If you tell them that this is what's happening, their their first reaction, if, if you're over 50, is like, well, I buy the same thing every week. I was like, yeah, and you probably eat the same thing every week. And you've right. probably you've probably been going on vacation to the same place, you know, for your entire life. 
Right. That's the split between older generations and younger generations. They was, don't do the same thing more than once. No, there was just an article today. Um, I think it was in the Times uh, about the increase in um, uh, in travel abroad from this generation and and the decrease in uh, domestic travel. So vacation sites are in the entire world, and it's a very much of a YOLO, you know, type of a you know. It, it, I got to get there because yeah, I mean, and I think COVID really exasperated that uh, i mean uh, uh, um it emphasized that um and made us all exasperated but um yeah i mean it's kind of like after you know two years or two and a half years of being stuck inside and with faced with this sense of walls around you people said hey wait a minute you know this may happen again changes attitudes uh much more experimental um but again this always was an experimental generation you know they weren't afraid to get punched in the mouth with flavor to try something at least once. And then social media essentially just verified that. Well, thanks again, Robin. I really appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And that wraps up another episode of the 219 Podcast. A big thank you to Robin Robinson, author of The Complete Whiskey Course and an old friend of mine for coming on the show this week. And we'll be back soon with another new episode. Stay tuned. Thank you.